So um, when I first got up here earlier, I was doing my sound check. I believe it was Scott said, hey, uh, you need to know your boundaries up here. And so uh, Travis came to our church. Was it last summer? And uh, our platform is a little bit bigger. That guy was just running from side to side the whole time. And like everyone walked out together like, oh my gosh, my neck hurts so bad. It's like, look at him. I'll be right here this morning. I'm not going much further than that. Hey, um, it's good to be with you. My name's Ty. Like he said, I've got a family. I'm going to show you a picture of my family here. Uh, this is our family, the lady beside me. That's my wife. We've been married 28 years. I have four children. Their ages are as followed. Oh, gosh, Ty. 27, 24, 17, and 9. I have two son-in-laws. I have three grandchildren. Now you're guessing. You're looking at me, and you're like, how old's this guy? Got that, I got that Ralph Macchio quality about me a little bit. How old's I got? Well, I'm 45. Now you're doing math. <laughs> I'm from Kentucky, like you said. I mean, we started young. I mean, we, we met at a family reunion. I mean, so that, that's, I win. Now we diversified. That means dating outside of your family, but that's my family right there. And I, I love them. So, hey, it's a joy to be with you. Uh, it is a joy just to be with Travis and Stephen. They are just two good, godly men. I, I want you to know uh, that they love Jesus and they love you. And so I'm going to encourage you and ask you and demand that you pray for them often and constantly and that you love them well and care for them well because it, godly men are, are hard to find nowadays leading church. And so I just want you to know you, you've got some. So just, just keep them lifted up in prayer and their families and just um, they, they, they love Jesus and they love you. So that's, that's a really good thing. Uh, and the second, uh, I got a great text today. I, my text today is basically a prayer. And as a pastor, especially a traveling pastor to another church, I get to tell you about prayer today, which is great because I get to uh, load up your bags for a guilt trip. Let's try it. Uh, let's, put some, let's put some bags together. How's your prayer life? Did I hear someone go over there? <laughs> How's your prayer life? Like, I would assume all of us would agree, like, my prayer life is okay. Some would say it's, it's, it's all right. Often some would say it's not very good. And then the kicker is, uh, this text is also going to talk about love. So not only are you going to get some like check bags, I'm going to give you some carry on to go as well on this guilt trip. It's like, how loving are you? Crickets. <laughs> some of you say, well, yeah, I'm loving, but what about that person who sits on the other side of the political aisle to you? Or, or you say, well, I'm loving, but what about that neighbor with the barking dog? Is that anything like Vegas out here? The barking dogs? Oh my gosh. They need an ant. No, I don't say that, Ty. I can't say that here. I can say that in Kentucky, not here. They, they need love. Uh, or what about purgatory, which we call the, Gos- uh, the Costco gas line? You ever, you ever like try to love people there? That's like the hardest place in the world. And so you got your, uh, your, your bags packed right now for a guilt trip. So we're, we're going to be in the book of Philippians. I went and listened a little bit of Travis's and then Jason Hansen, another pastor friend of ours, messages the past couple of weeks, did a wonderful job setting it up. And so if you need like some setup information, you missed the first couple of weeks, go back to the Story Church uh, website and make sure you listen to that. Or just read the first few verses of Philippians 1, and you'll have it nailed. Uh, but I'm going to be in Philippians 1. Uh, you can see 9 through 11 here. So as you said earlier, if you got your Bible, let's get that going. And here, here's what I want to do with my time uh, as we gather today. I want us to see God answer a prayer today. Like, I, I want him to, to answer this prayer today that we would be more loving, that we would grow in our love. And, and I believe that God answers prayer, and and. I want to give you a guarantee. I guarantee God answers that prayer today. And if he does not, well, then I promise you I will not come back next week and preach. So let's get started. Verse 9. 
Oh, Travis, we're in trouble. I didn't start my timer. Okay, cool. Just do this. Do this. Cool. All right. Verse nine. Paul begins. He says, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. So the first thing we see right here that Paul is praying. Uh, and, and, and I think the thing we need to start with is we need to understand that, that prayer is a gift. Prayer is not a right of ours as human beings created in the image of God. It's not a right of ours. It's actually, it's a, it's a privilege like that he allows us to talk to him. Can, can you understand that? Like that is such a big deal that is, it is a privilege that we can talk to God Almighty. Like put on your brain diaper real quick because this is about to blow your mind. The God of the universe wants to hear from you and I. And so we see him praying there. I think we give an example of prayer. The Bible tells us over and over to pray. We are to pray because we can talk to God, only because we've been adopted by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we have this opportunity to pray. But praying is hard, right? Praying, praying is very, like, to pray, to pray consistently, to pray, to pray with, with some steadfastness, it's, it's very, very difficult. I don't know about you guys, I get distracted every time I sit down and pray. Super easy to get, I'm like, God, thank you for this day, and you're amazing. Oh my gosh, did I, did I pick that up at the store the other day? I don't know. I get distracted over and over and over. I used to really beat myself up about getting distracted, and I just read this uh, Thomas Keating quote, and it says this. He says, if your mind gets distracted 10,000 times in 20 minutes of prayer, it's 10,000 times or 10,000 opportunities to return to God. And so over and over, like the, the idea is that prayer is a gift, and we just need to keep at it. Now, Paul, he's writing this to the church in Philippi. He knows this church. He loves this church. He knows the people of this church. And so what do you do when you know people and you love people? You, you pray for them. And so right here, he is, he is praying for them. But, but what is he praying? What, what are we to pray? Or what is he praying right here? Well, imagine if someone were to come to you and they're a billionaire. Or if you won the mega, the mega billionaire, what was it, mega millions thing back, back this summer that you guys didn't play, right? because I didn't drive to state line and do that. But anyway, imagine a billionaire calls you and says, hey, I want to give you anything you want. What would you ask for? Imagine this billionaire said to you, I want to give your family anything you request. What would you ask for your family? Well, think about it. Paul has God by the ear and he's getting ready to make a request. Now, what, what, what will be his request? He could say, God, would you, would you like, you know, make it where they're not persecuted? God, would you take care of their needs? God, would you give them security and safety? God, would you give them health? God, would you, you know, make Nickelback stop making albums or, you know, the Fast and Furious industry to stop? Or God, there's these big requests that we could ask of. But what does he request for them? Love. That they would grow in love. Now, what is the content or what is the object of love in the text? Look back at verse nine. What does he say? What, like to love who? Like what's the, what are the boundaries around this love? Do you see it in the text? It doesn't say. Why? I'm just curious about that. I have a little bit of holy curiosity. Why does Paul not give like that you would love God more, that you would love others more, that you would love your enemies more, that you would love X, Y, Z more, you know, hamburgers, cheeseburgers, whatever. No, why, why is there no boundary? Perhaps that's there for a reason, or actually it's omitted for a reason. You remember back in the Gospel of Luke, remember in the Gospel of Luke, and Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, the religious people of the time, and there's always like these spats of them going back and forth, back and forth. You remember that? And there's this one where they, uh, basically, Jesus drops the Shema on them. He said, hey, you are to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the next is like this, to love your neighbors yourself. You remember that scene? 
What, what did the religious people of the time ask him about the neighbor? What does he say? Anybody know one? Who, who, who's my neighbor? Why? Because they want to know the boundary of love. They want to know who is in, who is out. Remember that scene in the gospel? And then Jesus does what he does. He jukes them. They break their ankles. And we're sitting back reading it and laughing. Ha ha, get them, Jesus. But if we pause long enough... And Jesus just juked us and broke our ankles because like, wait, 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 we're, we're kind of like that too. We want boundaries around it as well. And so Paul, he doesn't give us boundaries. He, he wants it, I think, us, us to have this holistic love. He wants us to grow holistically to where we love God, love others, and so on and so forth. So let's go do that. Let's go, let's go love others, right? Let's go love God with all that we have. Well, now we have to ask the question, what does he mean by love? Like, what does love even mean nowadays? I mean, we say love for everything. I love this show. I love my wife. I love Jesus. I love this church. We can love all sorts of things, but what does love mean? And thankfully, the third person of the, the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is, is, let's know this through Paul. Look at verse nine again. It says, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. It's telling us right there that our love has to be anchored in these two things, knowledge and discernment. They're not independent of one another. They actually work together uh, really well. I I don't know about you, but Travis, you probably know this as well. Like I've been in this church gig for a long time. I've had many people come to me and say, hey, pastor, I got the gift of discernment. Okay, what's that mean? (laughs) That means this Sunday, you know, I think I'm I'm discerning that the Lord should allow me to come up and talk and do X, Y, Z. And I'm like, ah. I don't know about that. I've seen a lot of people have discernment without any knowledge at all. I always tell people that like, hey, when God tells me that we're on, but he hasn't told me that yet. Or what about knowledge? I've had many, many Christians, seen many Christians, heard many Christians have great knowledge and they're super, super smart. And yet it all comes out in really dumb ways. And so this knowledge and discernment, when you put those together, they're going to come out and and anchored in, in love. Discernment without knowledge is not loving. You'll be known as unloving at times. And knowledge without discernment, you'll be known as unloving. And and, and what do we as Christians hate more than anything now? We hate to be called unloving. That people would look at us and say, you're you're not a very loving person. And and we're, we're the ones who know the king of love. We know the God of love, and yet we come across as unloving. Why is that? Maybe the world's definition of love is a little bit different than God's. And maybe our love lacks knowledge and discernment. So what is knowledge and discernment? Easily, I would say it like this or simplistically, knowledge is the what, discernment is the how. If you were just like make it super simple, and like you said, I'm from Kentucky, I gotta make things super simple. This is what we do. Knowledge is the what, discernment is the how. Why is this important? When our day, people want to separate knowledge and discernment of God's word for love. Love today is more about associated with tolerance and feelings than with truth and righteousness. Many operate in a way of like, if it feels good, if it doesn't hurt anyone, and that'll be loving. And if any time Christians try to correct that, then we come across as unloving. But our love must be anchored in knowledge and activated by discernment. We need to grow in knowledge so we can have love. Apart from the knowledge of God and his word, we will not love in a way that will honor God. And apart from uh, knowledge of God's word, we will not love others in a way that is helpful to them and helps human flourishing in the way God intended it to be. Now think about how love 
works and with knowledge in relationships. Imagine if you were to take all of your relationships and ask a few questions based upon the knowledge and the love of God. Think of it like this. What does the word say about this relationship that I'm in? What does God's word say about this marriage? What does God's word say about parenting? What does God's word say about loving unlovable people at times? What does God's word say about X, Y, Z? When we go to his word, we're gonna learn how. We're gonna learn that what is knowledge in this situation. We need to anchor our love in knowledge. And we get that from the Bible. Knowledge should grow our love. We think about when we read our Bibles, it should help us grow in our love of Jesus. If we're reading our Bibles and it's not growing our love in Jesus, then we're reading it wrong. Reading our Bibles and studying our Bibles and looking at the love of God should help us love other people. If it doesn't, then we're looking at it all wrong. We're becoming anything but Christ-like. So you and I right now are watching a generation of Christians set the Bible aside in an attempt to become more like Jesus. And, and, and stunningly, it will seem completely plausible to do that. And this will be perhaps the most clever scheme of the devil overall, to sacrifice the Bible for love's sake. And look, Christian, we, we need to be anchored in the Bible. That's where true love is known, and that's how true love is expressed. But now, what's the how? Well, we not only need knowledge, but we need discernment. That's what uh, Paul is gonna be praying for, is that we would have discernment as well, that we know how to apply love. We know how to activate love. I mean, you ever been in a situation where uh, like you, you needed to know, how do I love this person in this situation? Like they're, they're, maybe it's a difficult situation. Maybe it's called marriage. Anybody here ever been married before? Like we know what the what is when we read our Bibles, I'm to love my spouse and honor my spouse and respect my spouse and, and like sacrifice for my spouse. But, but how? I need to have it. Or what, what, when the Bible says something like uh, that we, we would not overly anger our children or like uh, what's the embitter our children. Well, what do you do when you have a 17 year old teenager uh, that breaks your brand new electric bike uh, the first week you have it. And same week he crushes your outside TV, totally destroys that. And then the same week the cops come by saying they saw him speeding in the neighborhood and they were going to threaten to impound the car. That feels really specific, doesn't it? <laughs> Yeah, that happened. But like, what do you, like, how, how am I to love him through this without just flying off the handle and like, you know, embittering my son because the Bible tells me not to. Or, hey, you ever been around someone that just says dumb things? Some of you are like, never. What? what how, how, are you, how are you supposed to respond? Like, what, what do you, are, are you, should you say something? Should you not say something? Well, look at Proverbs. Proverbs 24 makes it, or 26 makes it super clear. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest, he be, lest you be like him yourself. And then the next verse, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. All right, which one? What do we need in a situation like that? We need discernment. How do you get discernment? Time in God's word, trusting the Holy Spirit, time with God's people. So you like, how else are you going to develop discernment of how do I work this out? Time in God's word, time surrendering to, submitting to the Holy Spirit, understanding the, the vocabulary as you've been reading his word that he's telling you inside and a lot of time with God's people. This is what Paul is pushing in that. He wants to see their love grow in such a way that it's a true love to has knowledge and discernment. Now, it's, it's going to have a byproduct. Look at verse 10. There's a byproduct of this. He says this. He says, so that, so in light of this love, if we're going to grow in this love, have knowledge and discernment, so that 
you may approve what is excellent. We'll pause right there. So you can approve what is excellent. Do you know what that means? Approve what is excellent means that you'll choose what's best. It's not a moral standard of like what's good versus evil. That's not what he's talking about there. You're gonna choose with your life what is the best thing to spend your life on. What's the best thing to focus upon? You're gonna choose what is best. That is something we all need. We need to know how do I choose what is best? Why? Uh, Because we're just not very good at that. We have so many choices and so many decisions and so much coming at us constantly. It's hard to decide which is best. Many of our lives are probably running at about 100 miles an hour right now. When it comes to our careers, we have our kids in school or in, in schools or in activities. We have like all the different shows and news we got to keep up with. And it's like our lives are going 100 miles an hour. And we never stop to ask the question, why? Like at the end of my life, is any of the things I'm doing right now going to matter? Some may, some, some may not. There's this phenomenon that happens in the country. Anybody here from the country? Four of us. Cool. All right. Well, let me tell you, there's this phenomenon in the country of a dog chasing a car. Have you ever seen a dog chase a car? You ever pause long enough and wonder, like, what's it going to do when it catches it? What are you going to do when you catch whatever it is you're pursuing so much in life? It just feels like sometimes it's just a dog chasing a car. You ever stop to ask, why? Thomas Merton no, I'm sorry, Bernard of, Cla- uh, Bernard of Clairvoy, he said it like this. He thinks only of what he wants and he does not ask himself whether he ought to want it. And that's what Paul's talking about in this prayer that we will we'll be able to think through and process through of, do I actually want this? Is this something that's gonna be beneficial, good? Is this worth my time, energies, and effort because we have only so much because we have limitations because we are human? And so I think that's what this prayer is leading us to that we'll, we'll know how to choose what's, What's best? And then, and then it begins to transform us. It's a transformative prayer. Look what it says in the last part of verse 10. So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Paul is desiring to see a people pure and blameless when Jesus returns. He's, he's preparing, he's praying forward that they would be pure and blameless. There's just two, two big Bible words right there. What, is, what does pure mean? Pure means to be without hidden motives. Uh, that you're the type of person of what you see is what you get. There's nothing that I'm hiding. There's not a secret double agent life here. Like what you see is what you get. That's, that's what pure means right here. It's, it's from, uh, there was a story a long time ago, back when they would make pottery. Uh, There's a big process to make really good pottery. You had to like sift through the sand and the dirt and all that kind of stuff and get the big rocks out. Well, some people would short circuit that and bypass that and not do that. And they would just put together pots really fast. Well, there would be like big rocks left in it. Uh, and when they put it in the kiln, those big rocks would pop out. And so what they would do is they'd let it cool off. They'd fill it full of wax and it'd, it'd kind of harden. Then they would gloss over it, paint over it. They would sell it to you. You would take it home, put it in your oven or do whatever, heat it up. And guess what would happen? You got a hole in your pot. And so there used to be a word that they would put in the Latin above their, their pottery. It would say sincera. And it's where we get the word sincere from. It means without wax. And the idea is this, that our life would be without wax. That we're just not glossing over and glazing over the imperfections that we actually want to be pure for the Lord. The other word he used right here is blameless. That means without offense. That it's, it's hard for blame to stick to you. And that you are not going to cause other people to stumble. 
what Paul is doing right here, I don't know if you're understanding this text, but Paul is preparing us for perfection. He wants us to be perfect. I think that's the call of Jesus. Jesus, doesn't he say something like that in the Sermon on the Mount? He says what? Well, he says, be perfect, right? How's that working out for us? Well, Paul knows this. He's saying this. Look what Paul says in, in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul, we'll hold, we'll hold that for the end. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. But I mean, so far in this prayer, it tells me several things. Transformation is only gonna be a supernatural act of God by his grace. Transformation is, is only gonna happen communally. And so we need God's grace in our life and we also need one another if we're gonna see any transformation at all. Now, notice he says, all this is leading up to a certain day. What, what's the day in that, that text right there, verse 10? What, 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 what's that mean? I mean, it's interactive. You can just belt it up. If you're wrong, I'll just be like, God bless you. <laughs> the end, right? He's preparing us to meet Jesus. Side note, this is not even a part of it, but side note, like what, what comes to mind when you think about meeting Jesus? Or what emotion wells up in you? Joy? I mean, like, uh, you, you talk to a room this size, and you're gonna get different answers sometimes. Some people will say fear, sheer terror of thinking about Jesus, me face-to-face -face with him. Like, this is really, really bad. The other idea may be the idea of, like, the first time you saw your spouse on your wedding day. Elation, joy, tears. Christian, that, that, that should be our view. And if, if it's fear, then, then we, we, we probably are not understanding the gospel. We're probably not understanding the grace of God. And we probably think we have a hand in it and our hand is not heavy enough and we're not working hard enough or doing enough. And Jesus is gonna be really mad at us. He's gonna be kind of ticked off when he meets us. If that is you, my friend, listen to me. <laughs> keep coming here. Keep hearing this gospel. Keep going to his word. There is grace for you. It should be viewed as this beautiful reunion. Like we're gonna be with our Lord face to face forever. Let, let me keep going. Let me keep going. Verse 10 again. I'm sorry. Verse 11. Uh, watch carefully the outcome in this and we'll, we'll see if this is your life. Because of this prayer of more love anchored in knowledge and, and discernment because of what he's doing in and through us. Uh, what's, what's the result? He says, verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness. And he says that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And so he is saying, because of this prayer and this answered prayer and us praying this for ourselves and praying this over one another, that the results of this will be filled with the fruit of righteousness, all to the praise and glory of Jesus. Time out. Let's take a time out. Uh, let's pause and let's, let's kind of like, we evaluate what's just happened, what we've just heard, um, and be honest with ourselves Let's look at how honestly are we really filled with the fruit of, of righteousness. Let, 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 me, let me ask a couple of questions. Let's, let's probe around a little bit. Question number one, how's your prayer life? How's your prayer life? Are you doing as the Bible says, praying without ceasing constantly, praying and lifting up your pastor and, and fellow brothers and sisters and keeping them lifted up? Are, are, or are we just plowing through life 
making all the decisions we want to make, all self-sufficiently, and then later on after we do everything, like, oh, yeah, God, I totally forgot about you. Uh, I hope, hope, hope you were down with that. I hope you were okay with that. Like, is that, is that cool, God? Sure. Uh, at best, we're absent-minded at times for prayer. At worst, probably some of us, we pray none at all. Let me give you another question. How loving are you? You would say, oh, it's time. I love everybody. What happens inside your heart when you turn your news on? Whether you be CNN or Fox or somewhere in between NPR, I don't know, but what, what happens inside of you? Like, ooh, I don't know if I... When, when you hear things like BLM or you hear things like, you know, the Proud Boys, like what, what wells up inside of you? You say, well, uh, yeah, I just don't know. Like, see, we love when it's convenient, but that's probably too big picture. So let's bring it to the home. What about how, how loving are you to those, those parents uh, that you suffered under, under their neglect as a, as a child? What happens inside of you then when it comes to loving? Or that sibling that you no longer sit with during a holiday because like, you just don't want an all-out fight because of all the things they've done to you. Or that ex who has done everything to try to make your life miserable and ruin your life. What, like, how, how loving are you? That's why Paul's praying that we would, we would grow in our love. We want to we love when it's easy and comfortable, when it's clean and neat, when it's people like us. But I think our Bibles are showing us something different. Let me ask you another question. What about pure and blameless? How are we doing with pure and blameless? We doing good with that one? What about last night? This past weekend? Last week? What about your thought life? All, like, are we, are we really pure and blameless? Listen, guys, you live in California. How can you be pure and blameless? The taxes and the traffic out here. I would lose my mind. I'd, like, Jesus would be like, dumb as you got. Like, listen, you hear this. I know, I know you hear this and you don't know me. <laughs> you hear this and you're like, amen, brother. Amen, brother. Christianity is a mess right now. And like, no, you know, no, no one's loving and no one's doing this. No, no, no. Listen, if that's you, I'm talking to you. Amen, brother. I'm so glad I brought my spouse with me right now. No, I'm not talking to them. It, it's, it's you. It is, it is myself. And then you hear this message and here's what happens. Oh man, I gotta go home and I gotta make myself feel really, really bad. You know what? I'm gonna make some vows to Jesus. Jesus, I'm never gonna do that again. And Jesus, I'm never gonna say those things again. And Jesus, I'm gonna be way more loving. We make all these vows and we go home and here's what we do. I know what you do. You go on Amazon and you look up a book or a Bible study. I'm like, you know, I need to read a book on not being so angry. I need to read a book on bearing fruit. I need to do a Bible study on eight ways to be a better human being or whatever that is. We buy that Bible study and then after a while we make ourselves feel really, really, really bad. We feel bad enough for a day or two, maybe three. Maybe we just, you know, drink water eat lettuce for a while so we can really self-atone and we're like, man, I have felt bad enough. I think Jesus is good with me now. Is that how it works? Is that just me? Okay, it's just me. Anyway, I'll be the sinner in the room. I don't care. That's fine with me. But, and then we come to verse 11 and we see verse 11, it talks about fruit of righteousness. And we're like, oh yeah, I need to bear fruit of righteousness. But you guys live in California. You know what it's like for trees to grow things, right? I live in Las Vegas. It's where things go to die. We grow nothing there. And it'd be like you having an apple tree out back and looking at this apple tree and you just, you're like, grow some fruit, you apple tree. And you just scream at it and you're like, grow fruit, you apple tree. And you know this because you're from California. You can't manufacture fruit. You can only bear fruit. That's the only thing you can do. And you're like, well, no, no, Ty, I can do it. I can work hard enough. I got the juice in me. You ain't got the juice in you. 
you know what? Let me show you what we're good at. Galatians chapter five, verse 19. This is the fruit of our efforts. Let me give it to you. You're gonna love this. Verse 19. Now the works of the flesh, that's, that's what we do. We work really hard. That's our work. The works of the flesh are as followed. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. How's that working for you? This is what, this is what we can produce right here. Is there any hope for us? What can we do? We, we read just three verses. And like, I don't know about you. After three verses, I'm toast. It's like, well, I, I got nothing I can do. Go back to verse 11, because I think, I think there's something there. Verse 11. Filled with the fruit of righteousness. Now watch this next phrase. What, what are those four, four words right there? What does it say? Say that one more time a little louder. Who's it come through? Yeah, that's why Paul is beginning this letter with this prayer. And, and that's why the only way that this prayer can have any bearing in our life, it has to come through Jesus. It has to. Look, we ain't got enough in us to try to do this all on our own. We can't do life without Jesus. Without him, we have nothing and we are nothing. As a matter of fact, Jesus said this in John 15, 5. He says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. Know your role in there. That's a really important. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Now watch, for apartment, apart from me, you can do what? You know what the Greek is in that? I don't know either, but I bet it's nothing. I guarantee it. I mean, that's why they translate, smart people translated that way. Nothing. You and I can do nothing apart from Jesus. So the part of like being attached to Jesus is talking to Jesus, relying upon Jesus, depending upon Jesus, running back to Jesus when we blow it over and over and over. And when we do that, Galatians 5, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of righteousness is there. I would say there's a connection. is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, Gentleness, self-control, against such things, there is no law. I mean, when we look back over this text, this prayer, you can see Jesus throughout the text. Jesus is the one who loves perfectly. And Jesus is the one who loved perfectly and is perfectly anchored in knowledge and discernment. And he's the one that's always approved of what is excellent, 10 times out of 10, 100%. He's the one who is filled with the fruit of righteousness and he is the one that completely, totally and perfectly by his perfect life lived in a way that gave praise and glory to the Father constantly. So in light of that, he's the one I'm gonna tether my life to uh, and he's the one I'm gonna rely on everything because without him, we have nothing. And, and so perhaps today, Christian, through hearing this message, perhaps God has shown you something. Maybe there's some, some area of pure and blameless that, that you're really missing the mark on. Maybe there's some area of love that just doesn't have knowledge or discernment, or maybe you really struggle with approving what is excellent, like doing what's best in life. Maybe God has dinged you on something right there. You know what you should do about that? Don't despair. Don't run to Amazon and try to get another Bible study in and do some more laps around that track. No, run to Jesus. He has given you a, a, a beautiful gift this morning. It's called his mercy. 
And what you do with his mercy is when he shows you and he convicts you of sin, the proper response, Christian, is not run from God, but it's to run to God because we could enter the throne room of grace because of Jesus Christ and what he's done on our behalf. And so now we have a great opportunity for confession and repentance. My Bible tells me that there's refreshment with repentance. And so whatever it is he may be calling out or calling you to today, do that. I will say this as well. Maybe someone in here, you, you do not know Jesus. Maybe you're here with a friend or a family member. You came in, you're like, hey, I'm just here because there's a, you know, someone promised like a lunch afterwards, something like that. So I'm just waiting for the buy-off, hurry up. Uh, or, or you're just here just kind of checking this out. Listen to me, listen to me. Like Jesus, he loves you and he wants you and you're not here by mistake. We believe that he has this invisible hand of providence and sovereignty that it has brought you into here, this good news message about him. And so today you can ask a lot of questions. I know there's some pastors and staff and people around here that would love to talk to you about Jesus, introduce to you who Jesus is, and you could trust Jesus today and you'd have someone who can do something with your past, present, and future sin and someone who will be with you and never forsake you, never reject you. And so don't miss that opportunity for that today because he loves you. And as we grow in this love, what this love is gonna do, it's going to increase and lead us to joy. And what the world needs to see now more than ever, turn the news on, you'll find this out. Don't turn the news on, ugh. What the world needs now more than ever is joyful Christians. Not a bunch of like scaredy cat Christians are like, oh, the world is caving in, so (laughs) let it. Burn, baby, burn. Dr. Jones said this, the greatest need of the house is a, I'm sorry, my eyesight. (laughs) The greatest need of the house is a revived and joyful church. Unhappy Christians are a poor recommendation for the faith. The exuberant joy of the early Christian was one of the most potent factors in the spread of Christianity. Mobilized as a joyful church because we are praying that God would grow our love, that we want it anchored in knowledge, we want it anchored in discernment, that we're going to be able to prove what is excellent, that we're going to be filled with the fruit of righteousness and all of it, not to our glory, heck no, all to the glory and the praise of God. Here's what I, I want to end my time. If it's okay, uh, could, I, could I pray this verse over you guys? And if you're comfortable with it, um, just ask it, a hands in, a, in just a, a posture of receiving. Uh, if you're not, that's totally cool as well. But I just, I want to, I want to pray this over you guys. Uh, and I just appreciate you guys letting me be here and just be a part of what God's doing here and a part of the team. It's just, uh, it's, you guys are just a joy. But let me, let me pray for you. And it is my prayer that our love, that Story Church love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that we may be able to approve what is excellent and this church be so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus. God, to your glory and to your praise, we ask this in Jesus' name.